This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another post-LVO edition of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John, and this week we are very fortunate to have uh, Brad Chester join us, runner-up at the LVO, uh, playing his Raven Guard. A very interesting list. Um, and as always, I've got Nick Nadavati joining me today, uh, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Nick is one of the best players in 40K history, along with Brad, actually, but most of you don't know that, but you're going to find out in a minute here. Uh, and and Nick is you know Nick has won the LVO overall. He's won the uh, LVO Adepticon. You know he's just he's just won everything. But I think Nova, right? Something like that. Yeah, Nova, but I won the Invitational. Every, you did win the Nova Invitational, which is great. So anyway, uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Brad, and then we'll get started digging into his list. Brad's won yeah. Nova. So Brad is probably the oldest person in 40k. That is a title in and of itself. He's also a really good friend of mine, and he is really, really good at this game. Uh, doesn't really do many podcasts or YouTube videos or content creation, which a lot of other good players do these days. Um, so that's why some of you may not have heard him as much, but uh, trust me, this guy's a monster on the tabletop. Um, he's won Adepticon, Nova, and now runner-up at LVO, ETC. Like, what, what else do we need to put on his resume? Um, I'll, I'll, I've won all the majors except for LVO, which makes me sad. It's okay, buddy. And also, I, and, and I've been stopped twice now. I've gotten second and third in LVO now. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Nadavati stopped my my run two years ago when I got third on the when I was going to pull the ultimate five assault last turn, and then I was told I had exactly one minute left to. Make two soul bur- or make a soul burst and run multiple assaults. And I just put out my hand and went, Well, that's not happening in one minute. So these were the <laughs> days before chess clocks for you new kids on the block. <laughs> it was a dark time in 40K. <laughs> yes, it was definitely a dark time. Um, it, made, it brought lots of sadness. So, so, so did I hear that? Did I hear that right? Nick basically clocked you? I did not clock anybody. No, <laughs> Nick, Nick and I had the, a game. I, I seriously, and I say this all the time. Um, to a lot of people, I wish that game was one of the ones on the stream, and so they had a little bit more of an incendiary game going on the other on the actual stream in the semifinals, because Nick and I played identical lists that we had uh, hammered out. Uh, we had literally done a full practice weekend, just like we did this year before LVO, and we came with well, sorry, they weren't identical lists. I had one more Reaper, he had one more Spear, so they were vastly different lists. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, but we uh, we played uh, a game which I'm super big on is intent. Um, you know, he would say what he wanted to do, and I would say what I wanted to do, and we had zero issues, zero problems of anything. And I really, really like playing like that. Um, and we 
had like just a mirror game going on and he got Nick wins all regular roles. So he went first, <laughs> he, he won all the pregame and stuff like that. So he was really taking it to me. And then I started coming back at the bottom half of the game. Um, and we had just like a really great game just going just back and forth, back and forth with just each of us stating what we wanted to do so we could just move the game along. Um, and then we just didn't know we, we literally didn't have a, we didn't have a clock and we had no warnings. Sorry, Reese, we had no warnings, but we, we just sat, we were sitting there. Um, and I had the, uh, the bottom and I was ready to do my last moves. And we literally got told right before I took my turn or as I was taking my turn that we had one minute left. And I was just like, well, but the game was amazing. It was really amazing. Yeah, that's one of my favorite games I've ever played in 15 plus years of playing this game. I actually, I, 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 I want to, I normally I'm the guy that keeps us on task, but I do want to highlight something that you talked about there, and that's playing by intent. I imagine your game with Richard Siegler, because I've watched him play a lot of games, was He's very much played in that vein. Same, yeah. Exact same way. We both, yeah. I mean, literally, Richard could have completely screwed me in, 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 one, in one of the plays. Um, basically, I was assaulting two units of intercessors, and I had set it up that I wanted to make the charge on the five man, but I wanted to actually assault the others to make sure that I got there. And I was always going to wrap the one unit. And I just didn't say that out loud, but he knew exactly what I was doing and just went, yes, of course, that's what you're doing. You know, just go ahead. I know what you're doing. Right. And I mean, that's and I, I, the only, the only reason why I want to highlight that is Siegler has won everything this year, right? I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's not far from the truth. You're a very accomplished player. Nick has won everything at various times during the year, and none of you guys are playing that gotcha game. All of you play a game of intent, and you're and you really want to beat your opponent's strategy, not necessarily play, um, play like I said, play that gotcha game. So I just think it's worth pointing out that if the best players in the world can win playing that way, maybe that's what we should all strive for. And that's I mean, all that, I'm going to say on that. So. That's a that's a huge thing that I'm I harp on this all the time. Nick will yell at me here because I I do say it all the time. I just, I'm a huge proponent on uh, sportsmanship in the game. Just the fact that I want to have a really good time, and the fact that you can be at the very top tables, and I can have better games than if I'm at the mid tables. Uh, when you're coming up, you know, in the tournament, so you're a lot of times round four and stuff. You get people that feel like that's how they have to win, but you you'll actually win more uh, with your player skill if you are are being the type of guy that's, you know, you want intent, you don't want to, maybe you don't want a million takebacks, but sure, you don't want to get somebody on on technicalities. You want to feel like you won the game. Yeah, it's also, it'll make the win feel more rewarding and you'll just have more fun out of 40K in general. Like, there's there's got to be a point to win this game, right? You're playing for something. And a lot of it is, like, pride in a way, where it's like, I won because I'm better than you. I had a more sound strategy than you, whatever it might be. No, I won because he forgot to roll a die or whatever it is. Right, or, exactly. Or worse, because you didn't say you were going to wrap that guy, right? <laughs> Even though you you clearly were working towards that. The words just didn't well, come out of your mouth. Well, no, right? I mean, I'll, I'll use the nickname that I was talking about from two years ago. Um, he he got 20 guardians into several units of reapers and stuff on me. And he, at, he basically was, I just go, he says, can I just say I wrap these? I mean, I have plenty of yeah. guys and I'm like, Show well, me just, let me cool. just uh, give some clarifying information there. And we were playing hammer and anvil and there was this ruin in the corner of the point zone, which I was charging into. So for me to like 
go in there and position models properly would be walking around the table, bending over yeah, and positioning true. models properly. It's a pain in the butt. So I was like, Chester, I'm going to try to wrap those dudes. Can you make it happen? And yeah, just that was, and we basically didn't even bother with that until we went, is there, it does the try, you know, basically three guys on each, you know, on one guy in each unit. Is that still happening? Yes. Okay. We're just moving on with the game because it makes absolutely no difference. Yeah. And like we, if someone were to walk over, it might not have even been happening, but we both knew that it was happening. It's like, oh, this is one on 10. Is it possible? Yes, we're good to go. Yeah, right. So that's the thing. Um, I, I, I commend both of you guys on that. Okay, back to our regular schedule of the program. Apologize, listeners. This is a, this is a podcast about, uh, presumably about lists. Uh, for those of you who are new to the program, this is part one where we discuss what's in Brad's list, um, why it's in his list, what his overall strategy is. And in part two, which is available to Patreons, we'll actually get into the nitty-gritty details of optimal play with the list, talk about matchups, you know, relics, uh, psychic powers, you know, basically tuning the list for specific um, strategies. All right. So, Brad, why don't you go ahead and start, just give us what's in the list, and then we can talk about maybe why, why, what, why what's there is there, right? So, first off, the list is a double battalion. So I'm just going to read down characters first. So we've got <clears throat> Lyle Sizzadin, who is there because I have three units of sniper scouts, and he can deep strike them without spending any command points. And then I've got a smash captain, which is anti-plane and anti-centurion. And then I've got a primaris lieutenant, so he's a 5-1 character. Then I usually take the ex-tenebris on him. And then I've got a jump chaplain, who I make have the master sanctity with two powers. Now, so the, the, list- the ex-tenebris <clears throat> is a really good... Um- Stalker bolt rifle replacement, right? Allows you to assassinate characters, something like it that. It snipes out characters. It's strength four. It's going to be AP minus three when I switch to tactical, and it ignores cover saves, and it can snipe characters, and it does two da- two flat damage, which is amazing. It actually it's does three a ton, shots, right? Three shots, and it actually did a ton of damage for me uh, throughout throughout the weekend. In the fact that sometimes I just a lot of times I was just shooting. Uh, regular Marines. I'll shoot intercessors and stuff like that. I mean, it's great versus characters because it's obviously plus one to hit, plus one to wound because I'm Raven Guard. But a lot of times, if I was trying to play KG, I would just sit because I'm a character and I can't be hit. I'll take my three shots, re-rolling ones because I'm a lieutenant to wound, and you're just two flat damage. You're picking up lots of characters throughout the win- throughout the weekend. So he he was one of the MVPs throughout all weekend long. Interesting. And let's uh, let's finish going through your list. So then I've got uh, scouts are five, five, ten. So I have three drops with them. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, five, five, ten. And then you've got a unit of intercessors with a thunder hammer. Uh, just I had points, and I also wanted to uh, be able to kill. I had a lot of problems in testing versus just killing other people's the unit of scouts that came up on me, a unit of infiltrators or whatever, um, being in combat too long on my side, and I wanted to. Get rid of those. Then I've got two units of infiltrators, which were huge MVPs, uh, blocking out deep strikes within 12. And they were doing work all weekend also. But the, um, what else is my list? Oh, yeah, I forgot, you know, a thousand points on my list. Uh, I was going to say, two infiltrators. <laughs> so six, uh, six man unit of, I was about to continue on with my strategy versus it. Then I go, oh, yeah, you know, the, the other people might have remembered that I brought a few centurions. So I have 
a unit of six assault centurions and a unit of four assault centurions. And then I have a unit of five grav centurions. And then I have a thunderfire cannon. Uh, thunderfire cannon. Awesome. And so that is my list. I mean, let's let's just get into the overall strategy before I get too nitpicky about your specific choices. Um, Ravenguard are an army with multiple deployment options. Everything can infiltrate, have a deep strike. You have master of ambush as a war retreat. Was there like a go-to thing you just did? Or was it dependent on certain scenarios? How did you play your army? I I was very go-to on on the, oh, every game. I started with master of ambush on the smash captain, and typically. I would either start, depending on what my opponent has, typically it's six assault centurions, but it, if they have, if I know, if it's two, four, six, and I know I'm going first, and it's an army with a lot of vehicles or something in it, I would start to grab centurions. Either way, I'm going to put them in the optimal position, either hiding and or just starting nine inches away. And then, of course, I've got the pregame moves. Or is that a is that a next is that a next podcast next level? No, you can talk about your your overall strategy, and so just to sort of delineate it for you, like here you might talk about in general how would you you would use pregame yeah. moves, what you're trying to accomplish. In the second podcast, you, we might be saying, okay, in the Iron Hands matchup, what gotcha. are you trying to accomplish? You might say, I might use a pregame move to try and get my Centurions to get line of sight on a you know to kill. If I can kill 15 interceptors, yeah. I trade it. You know, gotcha. Something like that. One of, one of the biggest moves pregame is the fact that after you deploy both your units and nine, you know, sign nine inch away, I want to get in your zone. But a lot of people don't realize that the Raven Guard pregame movement is one CP and it can, you can do a move. So move in advance. Um, and it doesn't, and it, it ignores deployment zones. So I can actually just move to wherever it is nine inches away. So a lot of times I'll use the smash captain. People have blocked out, but they haven't completely blocked out. So I'll, you know, fly fly him over and stay nine inches away and then just, you know, be able to start the game really deep in an opponent's zone because I'm completely willing to sacrifice my smash captain if I can pick up, you know, a relic Scorpius, uh, an integral character or something else fighting twice. Okay, yeah, that so makes Go ahead. I was saying, so you're totally cool sacking your smash captain turn one just to take out a key piece of his army. 100%. Uh, now, did you find that that was, uh, I guess that's a viable plan when you're going first, but how do you handle going second, I guess? Second's actually um, easier gameplay. You can high roll somebody first turn, uh, you know, going and pushing in. You have to make a lot of high, um, high risk decisions and, you know, really weigh whether you're not. That was a good decision, and they a lot of times they are because you you know you get to be in your opponent's deployment zone, you get to push out, but a lot of times going seconds just easier because if you have good terrain, if if I know what terrain I'm going to be, so for instance the LVO terrain, I knew I was going to have a ruins and some walls and something else where I could just hide. Well, going second, I'll just keep all those guys there, and or I'll just hide the smash captain so that I can pick off anything that you want to try to do mid board. I'll try to pick that up first turn and or wrap it. So if somebody pushes out, I'm going second, and they put scouts or something else out, I'm just going to try to wrap that unit. So a lot of times playing the KG game is the easier to play because you didn't take so many first turn risks, but you do have a high reward for taking those risks uh, turn one. But you got to think that turn one, you know, I'm starting two units, pushing them in, taking, you know, big, big risks, but I'm also standing there with, 
two units of my army versus your entire army. So it is, you have to get your return for it because those those units will probably get picked up, you know, the very first turn. So interestingly, it sounds to me like you're playing a peace trading game, right? Kind of like the old chess paradigm um, where you will commit your pieces to aggressive plays if you can see that you're trading, that the trade is worth it, right? Is that what you're kind of getting at? 100% correct. Because if I can remove their queen, big deal for me. Say, for instance, I, I can get rid of, I played several, I played uh, Elder Planes twice. Uh, sending in the Smash Captain and being able to get two for one on planes. And or, say, for instance, I can get uh, two indirects, like Scorpius or something like that. Or really uh, integral character if they've left him open. Um, that I can get really deep into the zone. That's 100% worth it for me because it, it gives me uh, benefits throughout the entire game. So I made a sacrifice turn one, but the rest of my game is much easier because of that. Right. It's very chess-like in that regard. Um, that's interesting, though, because taking Master of Ambush is always kind of a double-edged sword, right? So in games where it's deploy first to go first, missions two, four, six on ITC, you can take it and then adapt accordingly. Going first, you could be aggressive, barring a C is going second, you could be defensive, and that's that. In the alternating deployments, missions one, three, and five, you really have no idea who's going first or second. So how does that impact you as a Raven Guard player? Because so many of your choices have to be made before you're going first, before you know. Yeah, typically what I do is I'll put the, I'll say for instance, I'm, I'm in, a, it's in a match where I, it's not just a plain match or something where I want grab and hands out. I'll put the six man behind, behind basically a default, <clears throat> excuse me, a default. I'll deploy one of my infiltrators uh, hidden somewhere, and then I'll put one of my infiltrators really far up so that you can't block me out if I get to go first with my Master of Ambush. So I'll put just infiltrators just standing there in the middle of the board, you know, nine inches away. Yeah, so that basically I just a, being a placeholder for your sense if exactly. you were to get first turn. And then if I go second, I already have my Centurions back where I was going to redeploy them if I went second. So they're just there where I want them to be, unless there's a better place. And so I have two options. One, if there's a way better place to go, I'll just take the Smash Captain and the uh, Centurions and I'll put them in a better hiding spot. But if there isn't a better hiding spot than the original one in my deployment zone, which a lot of times at LVO there just wasn't, I'll just pick that Infiltrator unit up and I'll hide that too. So I'm not just giving away a first turn kill. Interesting. So basically you you have the backup plan of I've got bottom of turn and I'm sitting behind this ruin. That's at least really good for the mission. I'll play a cagey game with you. Um, right. Or you're it just going to go all in if you go first turn. Yeah, it becomes a completely different game. Depending on whether I go first or second is a hugely different game. Unless, of course, I played Richard, which he just made me play a cagey game or I would have just lost horribly. Right, we can talk about that game uh, in the second half when we talk about specific matchups. But yeah, it makes <laughs> sense. Uh, and one of the things that I think is a really powerful boon to Raven Guard, at least the way you're playing it, and a lot of players design Raven Guard was to be so all in on turn one, you got infiltrating this, infiltrating that, pregame moving the entire army, just going all in. Then they find out the hard way they're going second and they get seized on. And then, well, yeah, I went second and they just lose. So 100%. I really like your your adaptability, the ability to go first and just absolutely trash somebody, remove a key piece, like you said, with your smash captain and really get in there with your sense. Or you uh, just hang back and say, I got bottom of a turn, I got sense in the ruin, come get me. That's I really, really like cool. the Raven Guard army as a, a player's army because it does have a lot of high-risk, high-reward moves, but you also can just play the KG game. You can adapt your game to what people are doing. I don't think a ton of armies are able to do that. I can just decide. I don't have a preset thing that I have to do. I can always just 
try to figure out how to win based on you know what the mission of the deployment and everything is and just completely go from there i depending on first or second for instance you might see the exact same matchup go up completely different game each time but just getting reps in with the army is the biggest thing with that is you just have to make decisions because i think a lot of people all the time i watch people playing with centurions like i one of the the last uh one in my area which is toledo our our big tournament I just watched more and more people just make these YOLO charges with Centurions and then just get no return for their investment. You don't always have to just go out because even if you make the charge, maybe you can't rep. Maybe you're in a bad position. Maybe you didn't need to go in all in first turn because now you're just standing there and you didn't get enough. You didn't kill enough on your biggest threat that you have in your army to just warrant it just standing out there. One of the things I like about your list and just the way you describe it, and I'm a newer player, so excuse me if I'm asking a dumb question, but uh, it just it seems to me that you get to choose your engagements. And so what you're really doing is you're probing your opponent for mistakes in their game plan. So they overexpose something, they leave something juicy they thought was safe, it really wasn't, and it allows you to capitalize on it. And if they don't, you have, you have a long game you can play. Right, but because you have all the flexibility, you can take advantage of mistakes really quick, um, or you can turtle up and and play the long cagey game if you need to, you know. Hundred percent. There's a lot of yeah. times I'm just bringing them in, uh, not even till turn three until I see somebody, especially when people start to do do their first push ups. So they start pushing in. So and you get especially if you're going second, you can just take that. They usually push out and leave those options, so I can bring all twenty sniper scouts in. I'll bring Laos in for full rerolls, and then I'm doing mortal wounds on fives, hitting on threes, rerolling everything, and just pick up a ton of characters and really hamstring the opponent's army. And I can do it at range because I'm 39 inches, because 36 plus the plus three for long range marksmen. So I can get myself in some really good positions. And people don't usually have that many options to take care of me at that range, especially once the game's progressed a few turns in. Very hard to screen that out, right? Like, oh, it's huge because of the gross. fact that I'm not using the pod or anything like that. I'm just dropping in so I can just go wherever. I'll just put everybody, you know, in a little brick together, uh, take my line of sight. And again, I have tons of range to do that. So I can go anywhere, you know, within 39 inches of you. I'm not going to get close because it's a bunch of snipers and they just do work. And Lyles actually has a, a surprisingly effective gun. The guy's got a strength five gun that's when he's in assault doctrines, AP minus five with no cover save. Yeah. And he's got three shots. So he just, that, I mean, he can't snipe, but he, he just does work against a lot of things. So you just. It's a good thing you put him in your list. Wonder whose idea that was. Yeah, I mean, that was 100% my idea. I was really arguing with you guys all weekend about making sure that got in there. <laughs> you guys were arguing against it. I was like, guys, we have to take Lyos. He's 100% going in that list. All right, right. Same with the chaplain, right? You really wanted that guy, too. The chaplain was, was 50 50. I was. So. To the history of this, we had a big we had a big practice when a bunch of us were there, and I didn't really like Lyles at first because I was using the sniper captain for a while, but he was very hit and miss because of the fact that he's 50-50, either picks up a guy or they make a four-up save, which was getting too much for me. And I was using the pod for the scouts. And they kept pushing Lyles on me, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want to take him. And then like by effectively Saturday night, we started playing Friday night. I was completely all in. And this is uh, the Pampers that started with Lyos. 
and then I, as I'm doing now, I said I would take full credit for Lyos to anybody that would ask me once I decided that I was taking Lyos and that I was always for him. The chaplain is on Nick. I, yeah. I dumped the librarian for the chaplain, and I couldn't have been happier. Uh, lose a little bit of Trixie's, but the consistency of taking two powers, re-rolling the, the three up, just consistently gave me either you know, plus two to charge. As I took mostly plus one to hit, plus one to damage, or plus one to wound on closest um, all weekend. And just getting those off you know, all, almost every time was just so huge and it was clutch in every game. Yeah, um, the the plus one of wound on such short range, high volume weapons, like it completely changes the math from the bolters. So I'm glad you found some really good value out of that. Uh, you know, but also, really if you ever get off on about snipers, the, you, well, the snipers were huge on, especially on characters. If you, do, you want to explain target. how the plus one of wound interacts with characters and sniping? If someone's using the normal put guys out on the site, put a character in the open kind of trick, right? So. If somebody puts the character in the open, say, for instance, you're running, I don't know, against an invincible Leviathan Dreadnought, well, I'll get that specifically, but if somebody gets their character, uh, gives me the fact the closest thing to me is the character. Closest visible. So it might be something closer, which would probably block characters through the rules of So a lot of times, and I did this multiple times throughout the weekend, so somebody has something that's out of sight, but it's closer. So normally you can't shoot that, but I can with the snipers. So it technically now is the closest visible target, which is what the chaplain says. So now I'm plus one to hit, plus one to wound with Raven Guard. And then I'm also plus one to hit, plus one to wound if I cast the two Sanctity buffs on him, the Lindys. So now I'm, so for instance, a scout. I'm hitting on a two. I'm wounding on a, probably a two, but I'm always at least wounding, getting mortals on a four up. So on a 10-man squad, on the turn they're down, cast that on them. All of a sudden, you're getting half my wounds or mortal wounds. So you just, I was picking people up left and right. Yeah, there's a lot of subtleties in your list like that. Um, I think a lot of people get lost in the sauce and how Raven Guard can, you know, do all their Centurion spam tricks, deep striking, infiltrating, starting inside of you, maybe even advancing and charging. All that is really good. But well, there's this whole second half of the army, which also is character sniping, and they they do it so well. And the thing is, is people aren't used to it. Too. And, and a lot of people have a somebody that has maybe a two up, and they think, um, you know, I got a two up, maybe a reroll, a dump off, or whatever. <clears throat> but I don't even care about the wounds as much as I just want to do mortals to you. A lot of times, I was picking up the character from pure pure mortals alone. So they have somebody that I can only shoot with the snipers, and they think they're not going to really take that much damage, and all of a sudden. You know, take six or seven mortals. Oh, the guy's dead? Okay, cool. Pull him. <clears throat> I picked up multiple tra- Chaplain Dreadnoughts throughout the weekend of that also. That's brutal. Okay, that's gross. <laughs> I'll say that. That is disgusting. Because uh, those Chaplain 20... Dreadnoughts are kind of a problem, right? Yeah, but they, they're, well, they're, they're a problem. They're not that much of a problem for me um, Once I, if I have range to them. Because I, I pop down, unless you make a ton of five-up invulns and or six-up final pains. Uh, I pick multiple multiples up to just the mortal wounds because you got to figure that I'm, I mean, I've got the X Tenebris not doing mortals, but I got 20 sniper scouts. So 20 sniper scouts, uh, especially if I've been on the board to turn, all of a sudden, you know, I'm hitting with almost everything because of the full rerolls. And then boom, start just doing mortal, mortal, mortal. <clears throat> Plus, you know, the regular saves. I picked up a ton of them over the weekend because they were everywhere. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm sorry, Nick. I just want to ask one last question. 
I think it's important to talk about. We didn't really talk about your chapter tactics. Um, oh, chapter tactics is the only, the, the chapter tactics are huge. Um, they're a great question because it's the only way the army works. My chapter tactics are long range marksmen, which is the biggest, this is the hundred percent the one I had to have because it gives me plus three range, which that means that all those flamers, all those other guns, <clears throat> my flamers, for instance, can get range once I deep strike. Otherwise they wouldn't. Also just having the extra three inches on hurricane bolters, snipers gives me so many more options, especially in the first two turns when people are trying to push back on board edges, that three inches gives you the opportunity to strike in the back. Yeah. Three inches doesn't seem like much guys, I'm sure, but ask your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Ask your wife. Exactly. (laughs) But the, uh, and then I took master Augustine and I, and I hemmed and hawed about that for a while, but the statistics on it work a lot for, uh, for instance, my smash captain with the thunder hammer, rerolling ones, uh, not rerolling twos, but he is rerolling one two, and then he gets to reroll a wound. A sniper scouts rerolling ones. A lot of times I have next to the lieutenant, but then they're rerolling another wound. Um, it really just adds up throughout the game, especially in an army like mine that does a lot of high damage wounds. Uh, centurions in close combat. You definitely don't you want to reroll some of those ones there. Things of that nature. They're high. They're just a big reward for rerolling that one die. So that's why I went with Master Artisan. So um, I did have a question about while we were talking the sniper train package. Um, you have the 20 sniper rifles. You have the Excalibur. Why did you forego Eliminators? Um, they seem like they fit like in a raving garani, like peanut butter jelly. They also infiltrate the <laughs> sniper. Because okay, Imperial Fist exists a lot in my region. So my Eliminator games, when I first was testing them, effectively had my opponent picking up my eliminators instantaneously because they ignore cover and i just they don't have the volume that i wanted um because you get to target them i can't keep them off board i'm a huge fan of the sniper scouts dropping because i always at least get minimum one round of shooting on you you can't stop me with eliminators um you can always just target them especially if you ignore cover and then they're just regular regular primaris marines so I do like them a lot, and I like them in a ton of lists, but they just didn't fit specifically in my list <clears throat> over just testing. I, I, I guess I, part of that goes to everything you possibly care about is either the one sense squad behind a wall, or yeah. an artillery is not really killing sense, realistically, unless it's Scorpius. Exactly. And then everything else is in reserve. So if you just have eliminators wandering about the table, they can <clears> probably <throat> die. Somebody else covered thunder fires. I'll buy that. That makes a lot of sense. And also, I didn't want the temptation of trying to put them in positions where people could possibly get a wrap on me. Also, right, right. I don't so, want somebody uh, taking my the center of my board or something like that. Makes a lot of sense. So, a lot of your plans uh, for going second are kind of reliant on having a place to hide your sense while you wait for your cavalry to arrive on turn two or turn three. Uh, at LVO at the top of her tables, you knew you had that option. You knew you had a giant line of side blocker in your deployment zone. So that was an amazing call for that specific tournament. In an unknown environment or something with notoriously light terrain like Adepticon, for example, um, do you think that your army functions as well? Yes, but it is susceptible to uh, first-round alpha strike if I get terrible terrain. If I get some basically 5th edition terrain, which just has windows everywhere and no blocking. 
I might have to actually just deploy more. I might have to put a second unit of sense out there and just take the pain uh, so that I'm not just picked up off the board. Um, that is a good question. Uh, most tournaments typically revolve around <clears throat> having um, some big metal blockers and something in the in the in my deployment. So with the Master of Ambush, uh, say I go to uh, Nova or something like that. I know that I can pick up that squad and hide it in the L's, even if there was bad terrain in my in my deployment zone. Right, right. So as long as there's basically terrain somewhere on the table. Right. If there's terrain on the table, I'm fine. The problem is, is if you basically you get some old school boards that just have nothing on them. If I get a complete, if I get playing a bowling ball, it's a very different question. So in yeah, most tournaments, yes. <clears throat> yeah, unless there's unless you have nothing that I can go into. Because typically with Master of Ambush, I'll just figure, I'll just go to whatever the, the blocking line of sight is, and I'll just deploy six guys and then smash Captain. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, get it? Sense. Um, uh, hey oh. The next Where's question going? I have. Oh, go, go for it. No, it's just, just. There's a lot of people teching for Centurions. Like, taking Centurions is not a novel concept. They've been under costed for like six months now. Um, Raven Guard, White Scars, everyone's running sense. Um, there's an increase in damage four in people's lists. Thunderfire is doing tremor shells, sucks for you. Um, how did you, did that not deter you at all? Did you just say, I don't care? Uh, what was your plan for that? Lyos is actually a big deal for that because he adds plus one of moves. So even if you tremor shell me, I can get to the other side of the wall, for instance. As long as he's on the Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? For the people who don't really understand what your that interaction is. So, well, if say for instance, you and I are playing a game right now, and you tremor shell my centurions, it has my movement to two. My base, my base move is four, goes down to two. My base is a little bit bigger than two, which means I can't actually stop halfway through the wall per the, per the yeah. rules of almost every tournament. So I couldn't actually move through. But Lyos actually gives me the plus one, so I can actually move three, which still puts me on the other side. Uh, which is a big deal because then the tremor shell is not as worrisome as long as I get to do stuff. But my thing is, is a lot of times I think that people are so aggressive with their centurions. I'm completely willing to just deep strike and or deploy my centurions behind a wall, uh, shoot two of your targets and take very little in return fire. Uh, just trying to play KG. I think a lot of people like feel like they have to make the charges because the centurions are so good in combat. But a Centurion touching cover is a one up one plus save. And if you can't see me with most of your army, I'm completely willing to take twelve shots a guy with two D you know, two D six flamers per guy and just pick off your your troops and stuff like that and take very little in return. And that's actually yeah. what I played more and I, I made the same same mistakes when I first started playing with Centurions as I I went very very balls deep all in on those and thought I had to do things, but why not take a volume of shots and just pick up your opponents? If I can take more objectives, score the progressive, whatever you know mission you're playing and you have to do something to take care of that. Also, if you get too close to get to me, cause I'll just keep hiding behind whatever wall, whatever it is on terrain feature I'm behind. If you have to come to me, you still have the, the risk of me assaulting you. So besides the shots, so I feel that I I end up playing Kiji more than I than I don't play Kiji. Depending on the army. Interestingly, 
interestingly, I think your list actually is really well designed for ITC, right? Because you have the ability to take the middle of the board and then scents are one of the best things for projecting force just because it's kind of like a no-fly zone. Nobody really wants to be in charge range of scents, let's be honest, because um, they do that much damage. Uh, so you can, if you want, you can take the middle of the board. Your your list doesn't give up any early kills. So on the first turn, I, I bet you very seldom gave up a kill on turn one, right? Because your scouts are in deep strike. And yep. I mean... You'd have to kill a five-man unit of primaries, which none of them I, I put in the open, so every single one's hiding. So you'd have to do it with just indirect. Right. Very cool. So, so a lot of times I, I don't on that. And the thing is, is that they're surprisingly damaging, especially like I, I had an elder playing game where I'm, I'm hiding in the ruins, so they had to come to me. So they had to get fairly close, you know, to get line of sight. And after the first round of combat, uh, the planes had killed most of the, the intercessors and the infiltrators, but I still had three centurions out of that six man unit, but between chaplain buffs, you know, so I'm now wounding on fours. I just picked up a plane with three centurions, you know, just hitting, you know, wounding on fours, take a whole bunch of saves that people don't really realize how much volume you can put on that, especially at the, the plus one. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so since you're not really playing your army, like an assault army, uh, which, as you described, is kind of an, a mistake or a trap to fall into for most Centurion players. Would you take things ever like the plus two to charge and six inch consolidate chaplain aura, or maybe the uh, the advance and charge warlord trait? Was that ever stuff you looked at? I've 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 taken I've I've taken the advance and charge warlord trait. I mean, I took that in my last game specifically. Uh, anybody that you feel could be cagey against you. Or be very, you know, try to put up a front and then have to get behind them very far. I really like the advance and charge warlord trait. Depends on what you're you're going to charge into. Also, if it's something that's just going to give you just a volume of fire, uh, having the no no Overwatch is huge because I usually double double warlord trait that guy. So I'll master of ambush in one of the two. I'll either do advance and charge. Or I'll do no Overwatch, depending on the army. And generally, if I know the person or if I know their style, uh, it depends on which. And it could be both, you know, what I think they're going to do. But if I need to think I'm going to need to go farther and I'm going to go in farther and make wraps, I mean, there's a ton of times when I did go, you can really high roll going first if the person doesn't have uh, proper screens and stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, I feel like no one else should take infiltrators besides me because they really suck to play against. So if you guys are going to Adepticon, <laughs> don't take infiltrators. They're overpriced. They don't perform. Every other they thing that you think about, <laughs> yeah, they're awful. Uh, they're out of print. You can't even buy them. So actually, you took infiltrators to um, save you space for your sense. Did you, by any infiltrating unit could do that, like in cursors or something, and save you a couple points here there. Did you actually make use of their other rules, like? The deep strike blocking. The deep strike blocking was huge. It's also the it's it was it was pretty much anti Raven Guard, anti Blood Angels, GSC. You know anybody else that wants to get on top of me with another very nasty unit. A lot of times I would take the infiltrators, especially in the early early turns, one or two, especially if I wasn't going first, and I just block out uh, the infiltrators. Infiltrators, if if for anybody that doesn't know the rule on it, infiltrators say that you cannot deep strike within twelve of that unit. So it means that you cannot declare a charge 
on that unit. So I would push them forward and hide them so that people couldn't come in and make charges on my 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 centurions and stuff like that, which was a huge thing, especially against other, like I said, other Raven Guard, Blood Angels, like a GS, anybody that wants to be very aggressive on the drop. Yeah, okay. It's really interesting when you think about it because it's like you are playing an assault army, right? You're playing what is nine centurions and then a smash captain. Ten. Ten, 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 ten and five. <laughs> Don't sell those centurions short. Fifteen of them. <laughs> um, so all these centurions, um, because you're afraid of getting in close combat. So, like, why? Don't you, shouldn't you just be like inviting people to come attack you? Maybe not get the charge on you, but any unit could be a basic screen. Like, Scouts, yes, they but I don't want people. I don't want the. Typically, when people are making the charge on me, they're making it with something that is worthwhile. So I don't want them. I want them to make. I want assaults to happen on my terms. It's because I don't want you to be able to assault me on your turn with that guy that does four damage and picks up a few of oh, my right, centuries. Right. I meant more like if you just use normal cheaper things like scouts to screen instead of infiltrators to just well, block it out entirely. Hundred percent. I thought on both. I, I was running incursors at first, and I was running one infiltrator, but I did two infiltrators so I could push forward with one, and or just sacrifice it to give board position, and then I kind of def- defend my backfield with one also. So that someone just can't charge, because a lot of times I, I push up even when I'm playing Kiji, I'm I'm still fairly aggressive on trying to take the board. So my Centurions are mid board, and my backfield a lot of times will just be semi open. So I don't want someone just making a charge and picking up, you know, all the characters and everything else. You want to make sure that they're surrounded by uh, I, infiltrators. I do have a question for both of you guys. Actually, is there any? You guys are both extremely high-level players. Is there any thought given to infiltrators just being easier to play? So like in a nine-round grind, doesn't it just make it easier on you to do your screening and kind of accomplish what you want to accomplish in those matchups, even though you're maybe a little less point efficient than maybe using something else to screen with? Like, Is there any value to like having a tool like that that's a little easier easier to apply? It is easier on my mind for that because I don't have to worry about it because I get a full turn to take off. So yes, to answer your question on that 100%, it makes it easier for my planning. Because what Nick's saying is more point efficient sometimes, so you can get a little bit more threat. But what you were saying actually does do, comes into play like a lot because I just know that I have a certain amount of no-fly zone and you're just not, you can't even get a lucky charge. You're just not allowed to make that charge. So it, it gives me a little bit more leeway, but I pay points for it. They're very expensive. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you put it like that. It's it's just a little bit of like over extra insurance, make your life a little easier, but at the cost of being a little bit points inefficient. Right, because I can also, even if I make a small move error, um, I probably won't get punished for it that turn just because of the fact that they can't declare the charge. And yeah, or just it's almost it. like paying a premium for an insurance policy. Yeah, effectively, yeah, that is what it is. And it's easier. You can you just have such a, a bigger zone. That twelve inches is just huge. You know what I mean? Especially if you're you're blocking out nine in the back, and then you've got you know nine forward plus that twelve you know from, from the middle of your unit. So you just have a huge zone. Where people t- tell you the truth, when I have the infiltrators in the middle, and then I have my you know my other units in the back. So I block out the back nine inches, and then I've got nine inches from that. So I basically have a twenty-one inch zone of. Excuse me. You can't deep strike. And it just looks completely like you'd be able to go there because of the huge amount of space. 
right. and then, then you start yeah, measuring yeah. and you're like oh shit i can't go anywhere here yeah that's interesting never thought of it like that so let's shift gears for a second um and talk about some of your pregame stuff you have uh 14 tp is it in this list or 13 13 two, 13. Bad, two bats gotcha i wasn't sure there's was an extra thing yeah, um, i want to be in for a for moving on, I will try to get one more Vanguard Spirit, something for one more point. Right. So um, you probably have to spend a lot of CP before the game starts on Warlord traits and deep striking things. Um, Lias definitely helps with that, at least. So what do you typically spend pregame? And then you probably don't have much during the actual game. To, so how do you budget for that? Um, I need to always need to budget... Two things that I, <clears throat> I I keep points for. My points go quickly. I, there was a ton of games where I was completely out of CP turn two, especially if I went first uh, with fighting twice and stuff like that. But I always budget in the grav strat for when the grav centurions come in. And then I always budget in one turn of transhuman <clears throat> for my centurions. So when I get hit with whatever their counter, either their counter shooting or their counter fighting, um, I can a lot of times just have the damage instead of you know twos we're looking at fours so but pregame wise i'm spending on the x tenorous because i have to purchase it because i'm not pure raving guard i'm raving guard successor my free relic most of the time um is going to be uh master crafted on the thunder hammer to get the four damage just depending on what i'm taking uh i've done some funky relics before but uh that's just a a safe go-to, you know, works against centurions, tanks, whatever, other characters. But then you get into um, my drops, and then I, I, I take an extra Warlord trait, for sure, and then I have the Sanctity. And then I probably deep strike two units, so I start usually start the game between eight and seven. I'm spending probably, f I spend at least five pre-game if I do two deep strikes. So I, yeah. I burn them pretty quick. I don't yeah. burn them nights pretty quick, but I burn them pretty quick. It's actually really interesting. We had Richard Siegler on just a couple of weeks ago talking about his Iron Hands list. Um, and he he and I both were saying from the perspective of Iron Hands, we would finish games with CP left. So I would enter turn five or turn six with like four or five CP and start spending them on silly stuff just because I knew the game was ending. That's an opposite problem to you. Do you think that's a player-style difference or an army-style difference or a bit of both? A little bit of both. I came from uh, playing Chaos, and Chaos was very CP greedy also, but you also had a lot of front end on that uh, between vetsing multiple times and different things you had to do. Um, Elder, you could use a little bit more over the course of the game, but with Raven Guard, a lot of times I'm spending all that stuff pre game, and then there's a lot of times when I want to make sure I get in someone's backfield, so I'll use the Raven Guard uh, advance and charge if I haven't taken the Warlord trait, because it gives me plus one to the charge also on the Smash Captain. And, and a lot of times I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight twice with one of those two. So that's another three CP right there. So if I started with seven or eight, I'm going to have three or four um, going into two at th most of the time tops. And then I'm going to fight on death. I'm going to transhuman. And then I'm going to use one when the grav sets come out. <clears throat> and then if I have any reroll whatsoever, that just that's pretty much the game for me. That's zero. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So basically you've pre-planned maybe not when you're going to spend every CP, but every command point strap that you're going to use. Is that right? 
pretty much I've, I've already spent all but one and one or two of my command points uh pre game right. i'm already gonna do that's they they get spent on the same thing every time every game unless yeah. you know I'm, I'm playing second effectively i have a three game a three point if i go second and i'm not in a position to fight twice uh just because of the uh, game nature that's about the only time i'll have cps to spend later turns but if otherwise no because a lot, a lot of times i need the the fight twice to uh to get my movement because a lot of times i'll just engage you know make sure i'm within an inch of a unit uh that i have no desire to do anything with but i declared them just so i can get my full movement on you know whatever i really wanted to fight which is way far back so i can you know consolidate three activate consolidate three move in fight and get way up on somebody's where i really want to be in the game so i do that i and i plan that out almost every game for that uh, they're almost always spent the same. I think if you're playing Raven Guard, it's going to be, you're going to spend them the same most games. Especially, well, if you're playing this type of type of list. Like, it's just, you're going to need a transhuman. You're going to want to fight twice. Especially if you have, if you get to go first with a six-man unit of Centurions, you're you're fighting twice. 25 attacks and strength 10, AP minus 4, 3 damage. You're, you're going to want to swing those guys as much as humanly possible. Yeah, they're already there. You got the hard part done out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> if something's still there, punch it again. <laughs> Try not to get there again. It's interesting that you've basically budgeted every CP you're going to spend, and you left none for Charmer Shells. I think a lot of players who look at it from the opponent's perspective, I mean, not the Space Ring player's perspective, view the solo Thunderfire Cannon as the end of times. Like, my army never gets a movement phase because they took a Thunderfire Cannon. What was me? Space Ring's OP. Um, I know between you and I's personal talks, you're even considering dropping the thing. Yeah. Uh, and you, you rarely tremor shells at all. I, I'm in the same boat. I also, even with my iron hands, basically never use tremor shells. What is the reason for that? The only thing that I tremor shelled all weekend, I tremor shelled, well, basically the exact same army. I played Lennon and Siegler back to back. And I tremor shelled the Leviathan Dreadnought once a piece on them so for the entire weekend i tremor shelled twice over nine games yeah um, so what is that nine times six is 54 turns of 40k two of those turns use tremor shells yeah <laughs> and to tell you the truth i don't even know if it was worth it for the secret game <laughs> yeah I, I don't think it was needed i was just cautioning it because i wanted to make sure he couldn't see me for a turn um but he didn't he didn't end up moving at all that turn so it made no difference <laughs> Um, right. the only time you, I think if I get my real worth on tremor shelling is if somebody sets up their centurions, uh, behind a wall that they can't get through in, and I'm so CP scar starved anyways, that do it's I, just, do I need to do that? Is that really right. doing anything for me? I, I find more from a conceptual standpoint, space Marines plan is fundamentally to kill you. That, that's really what the army does. It kills you. doesn't really care about how it goes about it. And Tremor Shell is more of a stalling type of maneuver. It just buys you a turn, it buys you another turn. So oh, right. And the thing is, is you should you 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 should have some sort of plan for how you're killing your opponent, or at least trying to win against your opponent. And right. if it, and if it's making them move half is just the key to victory. I I just don't know if that's ever really the key. Right, because like some armies don't care about Tremor Shells, like they did the fly keyword or Titanic or whatever it might be. Right. Like, uh, 
I mean, that, those are like, and, and those are like, tell you the truth. That's actually when I want a tremor shell. I don't want you to move your plane or your knight or whatever are all the yeah, things right. that I'm not allowed to tremor shell or all the things I want to tremor shell. Yeah. So you can and get a high roll. One on part of it, I suppose, is that the meta has adapted. Like people see thunderfires with tremor shells in every speaking space rate list, at least a thread of it. So they're not going to take units that are susceptible to it. They're not going to make a strategy that is vulnerable to it. And that decreases the value of it. So maybe this is kind of cyclical, but I think it's totally fine that you don't budget it off the tremor shells. I just kind of wanted to get it out there. That's you don't have to tremor shell, and you don't have to be as afraid of tremor shells if someone's even playing for it. <laughs> I wish I actually had the point back in my 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 semifinal game when I ran out of CP. I had tremor shelled him once, and I actually would have been better off with one more reroll to make an easy save and it would have made a huge difference in making the game a lot easier for me if I just had that command point and the tremor shell just did nothing really. So yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting. Things. If we could go back to LVO and redo some decision makings, you might spend a CP differently. I might play an entirely different faction or it's all the same. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's I mean, there's no might about that, Nick, but that's fine. Um I do I do want <laughs> What do you mean the the YOLO white white scars out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I submitted the list. Uh, what list? Yeah, I made it a minute ago. How about the one <laughs> we've been we've been literally working on forever, and you've been playing for six months? Nope, not playing that one. Okay, this is a nine hundred person tournament. I should be fine. I almost had a test game the other day. <laughs> oh man, uh, one thing I do want us to talk about because we haven't really talked about those dev sense. Um, I'm sure they have a role. I know they do a lot of damage, but um, why don't you tell us how you use those? Because that's a that's not a tool we see in a lot of lists, to be honest. I needed something that took out hard targets. I can't just lose to like a repulsor. Well, let's use a repulsor executioner. It's played fairly common. I can't just have that sitting in the middle of the board, just picking my guys up, doing three to six damage at AP minus five. So basically, no save. So I need I needed something that could deep strike for one because it's just easier to stay away from your other you know other things like that. I can't move and shoot heavy weapons, so I can't I can't easy mode my my iron hands anti tank you know hide it move it out. So I need something that struck. And I want it to be durable, and I also wanted it to have volume because my army uh, really goes on the one of the strategies for it is I just roll enough dice against anything so I can take out Horde or whatever else. So the Grand Centurions uh, have two roles. One, they take out hard targets, but also they're amazing at killing the idiots, the screens and the, the nonsense units, because I'll drop down, I'll drop 20 Grav shots on whatever my hard target is. I'll pop the Grav Strat, which says that I can reroll all wounds and all damage results, which means that instead of just rolling it and getting a bunch of ones, I get on the D3s, I can reroll that. So I'm just getting always, you know, a full column shift over and, st and stats for it. So I'm getting all twos and threes. But then they also each have a Hurricane Bolter. So you're looking at 60 Hurricane Bolter shots. And usually I have them near one of the captains or Lias or somebody. So I'm getting some rerolls. And of course, I'm getting one reroll from Master Artisan. So they've got a, a double double slot of what they're supposed to do. And you're also still sitting on, you know, four wounds at, with a two-up save and a cover again. Their one-up guy is sitting there, so they're hard to dig out, and they take a lot of firepower. 
Uh, so people usually, I can take a, a turn off from everybody else because people will focus everything they have on those five guys. It lets the rest of my army kind of do whatever they want to do on the turn after they come in. Yeah, I think it's a really good tech choice. I think a lot of players just go all deep, like, like here's 18 assault centurions. I have every bolter the Imperium has ever crafted. Um, and I have all the punching. This is broken for 52 points. I'm going to take this. Sometimes you leave them wide open yeah. to, you know, your only weapon in your army is a bolter and your only anti tank is close combat. That sucks. Right. People will screen you out. People will make sure you just don't. Uh, people also can get high early on you because you're only going to be AP minus one. With the graph sense, you're going to be AP minus three. You also have multi damage, which is the biggest thing. Five yeah. graph sense, unless somebody has, you know, iron hand shenanigans, will pick up any one tank thing. Because they're, especially if they're, you know, they're buffed up, a lot of times they'll start them on the board or I'll drop them and then start them so I can chaplain buff them. But with, yeah. you know, full reroll, say you're hitting 19 or 20 times. Um, and then you're just rerolling all your wounds. It's huge. Uh, and then everything that goes through is probably going to be a two or a three because, again, you're rerolling the damage. So you're looking at 20 shots that I can do you know, a total of three. So, I mean, you've got the potential to do 60 wounds just by the grab itself. Expensive, though. It's, it's a tough one for me to take because I'm not real big on units that cost a million. Man, those guys cost a million. That's fair. They're pricey. 350 for five. <laughs> At least you get to choose the engagement with them because of your Raven Guard, right? Does that make it a little easier, a little more palpable? Yeah, the deep, deep striking them is the only way I would take them um, for for my personal, my just my play choice. Um, I just can't. I can't. I wouldn't be able to take that unit unless I could do it with Raven Guard. Yeah, just because I don't want a lot of people look at that like Imperial Fist and they're like, I have damage four hundred against all these tanks. It's just so easy to play around. It's a unit that moves forward and he's on his sight. And that is the unit that you might lay you with Tremor Shell. <laughs> so to make sure yeah, right. it goes extra slow. But yeah, typically with Raven Guard, I can, I can drop in. And the extra three inches, again, is huge on that because now I have 27 inch on the grab, which is a big deal because usually it's going to get me past the initial screen and stuff like that too. Because a lot of times I'll just pop out, you know, nine away from whatever they have. But, you know, I've got a 27 inch shot. So you better be way back. And by the time I'm dropping them, it's going to be a uh, turn, probably turn three. So then I've, I've, I've had plenty of time to clear out uh, a variety of things, which also people just try to take out hard targets too quickly, too fast. I don't, and basically kill all your opponent's idiots and then you can take all the objectives and they can't. That's, that's another big, that's, that's another huge strategy for our army is just, murder all troops <laughs> and you'll then you'll probably be able to figure it out if they don't have bodies to take things somebody could be winning huge against you but if they can't take objectives and you're always taking more you've killed more you've gotten your uh your butcher's bill and everything else you know what i mean you might be huge up on points even though you start to feel like you're losing the game but and they get in the end it's it's mission point. So if you've, you're still way ahead, good to go. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm really excited to talk about uh, the matchups and stuff in part two because I think Raven Guard is an army which is so dynamic, it can change its strategy in the moment completely on what it's playing against. So, John, unless you have any other questions, let's move it on to 
part two for the Patriots. All right, everyone. This has been part one of our discussion with Brad Chester, who I'm from now on going to call the White Ninja, just because I thought, thought it was kind of <laughs> the cool. White because <laughs> nobody knows, nobody sees him coming. He just looks like an unassuming <laughs> white guy, and he just assassinates you. Like that's what happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, as always, you guys probably found us on the Frontline Gaming Network. But if you haven't been there yet, you need to go check it out. Uh, there are four really high quality podcasts on there. We have our podcast, which Nick and I like to affectionately. Uh, refer to as better than 40k stat center um there's the 40k stat center podcast which will keep you abreast of what's going on in the meta there's chapter tactics with pablo and the boys is always has good players on there like brandon grant or scary they get into some really good concepts conceptual 40k which are interesting discussions and of course there's the granddaddy of them all signals from the front line which has been on just forever probably for as long as brad has been playing which maybe maybe not quite that long but that's <laughs> oh, uh, <wow. laughs> that was before podcasts were even invented right right before before radio was invented or whatever it is um but anyway they they do a great job at signals of uh previewing what's coming down the pipe for the meta keeping you abreast of what's going on in itc new events that kind of thing it's a it's a you know so the the frontline gaming network channel is worth checking out you should all subscribe to that uh, we would really appreciate it if you did. And then we're on to we're we're moving on to part two. And patrons, we'll see you there in just a minute. Uh, for those of you that haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, this is going to be a really good discussion. You're not going to want to miss because after watching Brad play his game against the Iron Hands uh, list, I was like, "Gosh, this is actually a really brilliant strategy." And if uh, I don't know, I'm 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 excited to talk about it. So, patrons, we'll see you guys on episode two. Everyone else, hasta la vista. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.